for the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad, let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Cast up a highway for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when thou didst go before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou didst shed abroad a plentiful rain, O God. Thou didst confirm thy inheritance when it was parched. Thy creatures settled in it. Thou didst provide in thy goodness for the poor, O God. The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host. Kings of armies flee. They flee, and she who remains at home will divide the spoil. When you lie down among the sheepfolds, you are like the wings of a dove covered with silver and the pinions with glistening gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings there, it was snowing in Zalman. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountains which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai, in holiness. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captive thy captives. Thou hast received gifts among men, even the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. God is to us a God of deliverances, and to God the Lord belong, escapes from death. Surely God will shatter the head of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may shatter them in blood. The tongue of your dogs may have its portion from your enemies. They have seen thy procession, O God. The procession of my God, my King, into sanctuary. The singers went on. The troublesome, the musicians after them, in the midst of the maidens, beating tambourines. Bless God in the congregations. Even the Lord, you who are of the fountain of Israel. There is Benjamin the youngest ruling them, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Show thyself strong, O God, who has acted on your behalf. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring gifts to thee. Rebuke the beasts in the reeds, the herds of bulls with the calves of the peoples, trampling underfoot the pieces of silver. He has scattered the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. 
To him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times, behold, he speaks forth with his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O God, thou art awesome from thy sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. All right, so that was a long passage, I realize. Um, and there's a reason for that, which we're going to get to. Um, I, I was finding it somewhat ironic as we're listening to that of just um, how short, and maybe I'm speaking for us young people, how short our attention span has gotten in, uh, in recent years. How, um, you know, sitting and listening to the words sometimes is like, wow, that, that's long. And yet um, those were songs that they would sing. Those are things that they would declare and sing together uh, as a church. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit, um, some today. But let me just open us in prayer, and uh, we'll move forward. Father, we thank you um, just for the chance to look at this passage again and, and just get out of it what you want us to. I pray that your spirit would guide me um, and just our hearts, that we would grow and learn together, that you would open up insights um, into our hearts uh, just where, where we need to see them, and that you would just reveal things in our hearts deep down that maybe we've even kept closed up. We open ourselves to you, and we discipline ourselves under you today in your word, and just ask that you guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is the third and final week of this series that we've been going through on um, One God, One Spirit, and we've been in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and as I said kind of last week and a little bit before, I chose to take an approach to the text where we're looking at the whole of the 16 verses, not necessarily following a logical procession through, um, though today we'll follow a little bit of a logical procession. But more or less, we've kind of we've jumped all over in these 16 verses um, because I've been trying to pull out what is the main theme that uh, Paul was trying to emphasize to the Ephesians based on the case he's been building through Ephesians so far. So last week, um, we took a little bit of a detour as we looked into a topic, uh, I went very topical, I realized, but it's a topic called spiritual formation. And the reason that I did this is Paul, um, as he went through this text and he starts in the first uh, three, four, five verses, six verses, he makes a lot of these um, statements that seem simple about being one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and, and things like that. Um, and then he tells us that we're supposed to be eager to maintain this unity, this oneness uh, that he's talking about. Um, and uh, he tells us that we're supposed to walk worthy of this high calling. We look at Christ, we see where he is, we see that we're seated with him in the heavenlies, and we're supposed to walk worthy of that. Um, and uh, really, that is based in his heart for unity. And so we're told to have that eagerness, because Christ obviously is eager for that unity. He gave his life for that unity and um, rose from the dead for the sake of that unity. So we need to have that same eagerness. And this is uh, essentially the first half of the book that we focus on of knowing Christ, knowing. And so we've kind of talked about this, these 16 verses. I said they're kind of a hinge to the second half of the book where we start talking about serving Christ. And that's, that's just because I think as you look at this, and if uh, if we can get the aspect of what I really believe Paul was trying to emphasize here, of this aspect of being one mind with Christ, one spirit, having one spirit, having this unity, it's going to impact how we read the rest of the book and how we go forward with it. So that's why I really do think it's kind of, if you picture like a, a binder with rings in between, these are kind of the rings binding the two halves of the book together. So we have this, um, these commands, and, we, and we've jumped in and out. We're going to do it again today into Philippians. Um, Ryan Washburn started that uh, back at family camp, but there's a lot of parallels there. But in Philippians 2.5, we're told, have the same mind which was in Christ Jesus, and that's really what we're aiming towards. So this whole idea of spiritual formation was the aspect of letting the Holy Spirit come inside and really give us the mind of Christ. 
he's, he wants to do that. He wants to take us on this journey into our hearts, and he wants to, he wants to teach us what it means to have the mind of Christ. Because he is in Trinitarian fellowship with Christ, he can bring us into that unity too. So that's what this whole spiritual formation is allowing him to go deep into our hearts, and it's an individual journey. There's all these commands to be one, be one spirit, be one body, and um, they sound great, but if you're like me, you start really thinking about how, how do these flesh out in real life, and there's a little bit of a disconnect. It's hard to really connect those things. Like, if I could just stand up here, preach the word, and tell you, be one, uh, and you guys just, oh, I'm one. I, I just feel united with my brothers. and This is great. That would be fine. But it doesn't work that way, uh, unfortunately. We have sin natures that are more ingrained than any of us imagine, especially if you're um, younger in the faith. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a few years have a little better idea of how black your heart really is and how deep he needs to go because it's an inside-out transformation. Um, so these aspects, these, these commands, these be one mind, be one spirit, they come um, with this, this idea of an assumption that you need to let the spirit take you on a journey. And that's what we were talking about last week, this spiritual formation, this aspect. Um, moral formation opposed to spiritual formation, this is just kind of a review, but moral formation is really when you, when you come across command, maybe it's these ones or maybe it's ones that we're going to come across uh, later in chapter 4, you know, of, um, you know, stop stealing, don't have any corrupt talk come out of your mouth, um, you know, only uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be far from you. These commands come at us, and the moral formation side just says, okay, I got to do it, I got to do it. And you clean up the outside, and it's kind of, we use the, the picture of it's like painting the outside of a building that might have dry rot. And uh, you, you're, you're cleaning up and cleaning up and cleaning up, but you, nothing's going inside. You're not fixing yourself from the inside out. And you might look like a very good moral person to the outside world. You might even, when you look in the mirror, think of yourself as that way. But deep in your heart, there's something else going on. And that's the journey the spirit wants to go on. So spiritual formation goes deeper. It goes into not just what is the sin, what is this thing that came to the surface in the situation, but it goes deep into why did I sin? What was going on in my heart that caused me to break out in an outburst like that or to covet that thing? Um, yeah, I need to stop coveting. I need to, I need to stop um, bursting out in anger. And, and those are that's the moral clean up the outside. But spirit wants to go deeper. He wants to say, okay, there's a reason why you did that. And usually those things come down to who's on the throne. It comes down to really very basic um, sins of Adam and Eve, of we want to be God, and we're trying to take that fruit and say, why should God tell me what to do? And those are usually at the core of yourself. That's what's going on, but they take different shapes and things. And that's, but that's really what the Spirit wants to do. So we have to, um, we have to open ourselves to this journey. I can't say that enough. This isn't something I can just tell you to do and you're going to walk out of here and instantly the Spirit's going to start working on you. You have to be open to the journey. It's kind of stage one of this. You have to say, Spirit, I want to go deep. I want to get down to the root. I don't want to just stop sinning on the outside. I want to, I want to get down to the core and I want you to go deep. And you, you, that's, that's something, that prayer alone is going to take some wrestling. It's going to take some, some hard time on your knees of, do I really want this? And frankly, it probably is not going to look like you think it will look once it starts, if you're willing to go on that journey. But we all, it's, as we saw last week, it's a, it's a step of maturity. It's about growing up in the, in, um, in the faith. Now, the Spirit will use um, usually um, one of two things. He's going to use physical trials. He's going to use these in our life, and he, he sometimes allows physical trials or temptations to bring things to the surface. So you start on this journey, you say, God, take me deep, show me what's going on in my heart, and then the next week your life falls apart, and something you lose your job, or something just crashes in, and you say, what? Lord, I wanted to go deeper. And he goes, yeah, I'm answering your prayer. And he starts bringing things to the surface, and, and you start saying, well, why am I so mad? Why am I so frustrated? Oh, I was thought I was in control of everything or whatever it is and and these things start coming out so as you go on that journey I'll just say thank God for the trials 
Sometimes you'll hear up here, you'll hear us say, give thanks in all things. And you're like, man, I just, just really don't want to give thanks. But the trials are a sign that God is going deep with you. It's actually, it feels like you're neglected by God, but it's actually God showing that he's caring for you. It's actually him saying, I'm going deep with you. I'm not just leaving you. I'm taking you on a journey. So I realize those are big words to say, but I really believe that's true. That's why all throughout the New Testament, there's this aspect of give thanks in trials. Trials are only one way, though. Um, the other thing that, that may happen and this usually happens when we're in times of peace and prosperity and life seems to be going good, is deep inside in your own private time, in your, your time with the Lord, it just dries up. And, and your prayer time seems dead. And the text seems dead. And it just seems like work. And you start thinking, I don't even know if I'm saved. Um, he seems so distant. And these times are also a gift from God because they are taking you also down into a deep part of your heart and he's showing you do you just love me for what i give you for the good feelings for the the times when you feel close or do you actually love me and he's going to take you on that so those times both um, trials and um, these dark nights of the soul are considered to be times of desolation and really frankly they're more common in the spiritual walk than times of consolation when god feels close it's actually more of the norm um, I didn't mention it last week, but all throughout the Psalms, there are Psalms of desolation. And you read those, you read these ones where David's just crying out and saying, God, where are you? Where are you? And some of them resolve in the end. He said, oh, but then God came near. And some of them don't. And it ends on this, man, I really need some hope at the end of that Psalm. And it just cut off. That happens. And I think that's, those are ordained inspired scriptures for a reason there's times of spiritual dryness when god seems far off distant far away and there is a way in which you pray there's a way to praise even in the midst of that and that's what those psalms show us because you read them and you see you don't lose your faith you don't curse god as job's wife wanted him to you you find okay this is how david expressed his heart or the psalmist whoever it was um this is how they express their heart when they are in this dark night. And you learn from that. So those psalms are a guide for us too. But you see how many of them there are. And we shouldn't skip over them. You shouldn't just go to the happy psalms. Read, the, read those ones as well, those psalms of desolation, because they're so critical to our spiritual life. So all of this, this work that we talked about, that's kind of a review of last week. But this all is, is the Spirit teaching us to have the mind of Christ. This is how he does it. There's probably more ways as well. These are just a couple that I'm talking about using trials or dark nights to the soul. But he, he takes us deeper because he's teaching us down deep in our core how to have the mind of Christ. And this is kind of stage one of this aspect of what, it, what it's going to take to be one spirit. And if, as a church, in theory, we're all open to that journey, we're all walking that journey together, or at least a portion of us are, then that by itself is going to create some of this unity. That's why I went down that rabbit trail. That's why I went there is because in some ways I kind of almost assumed um, uh, that Paul may have assumed the Ephesians already knew this kind of aspect. There's a whole lot of reasons why. That's probably a different topic for a different day. But I really think um, more or less this, this idea of you've got to be open to the Spirit going deep in your heart. Is, is step one to us being united as, as a core. So this is kind of what I would call the individual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the next part, which is spiritual gifts, and that is the corporate work of the Holy Spirit. So he's working on us individually, take us on these journeys, but there's also something else that he's doing, and he's giving us um, not just knowledge inside our heart, but also tools. Many of you... Um, have worked in or work in the trades. And um, this is something Ron and I joke about a lot. You know, there's, there's a lot of just, and you guys know if you've been in the trades in this area for a long time, um, there's a lack of young guys that know the trades. I don't even work in the trades, but I've been involved just like here or there enough to see. Like there's, there's no one that's coming up and really learning the trades. Or what is happening is you have kids that go to college and learn the trade 
and then show up on the job site and, and just assume they know how to do it. Am I right? <laughs> Ron just started crying. Um, <laughs> this, this is happening all over. And, and it's, it's kind of, there's, there's reasons for how we got here as a culture, which isn't for today. But the point is, learning about how to do the job isn't enough of learning to do the job. You also need tools. You couldn't just show up after going through six years of electrical training in college, show up on a job site and just say, okay, I'm gonna fix this house. You gotta have some tools and you gotta have some experience, right? I mean, that kind of seems obvious, but that's, that's what we're looking at. Today, we're looking at the same thing. This having the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit, that's like him taking on us through college and training and schooling and, and learning in our mind, and some of that is on the job training. But what we're gonna talk about today is the tools that he gives us that help us accomplish that job, and that's what these spiritual gifts are about. So, spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter four, if you haven't turned there, go ahead and turn there right now. Um, I gotta actually figure out where I'm at in the notes because I, uh, I'm nowhere close. Um, the reason <laughs> that happens, the reason that I had um, Bill share and read that passage uh, comes down to um, the fact that right here, so we started in, in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6, and he kind of gives the introduction. That's more or less what we talked about um, the first week and a little bit last week. Last week, we kind of jumped to the end and looked at some more of that. But right here in the middle, starting in verse 7, he starts to talk about spiritual gifts. And when he does, he starts by saying, first, grace was given um, to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? Okay, so what is Christ's gift? What, what's he talking about here? And um, he, for, for Paul to make his point, he jumps back into the Old Testament. And he quotes a passage here, which is Psalm 68, 18. And this is why I had Bill read uh, Psalm 68. The reason I had him read the whole of the passage and not just that verse is because there's something we need to remember when we read the New Testament. When someone like Paul quotes the Old Testament, it's not like he didn't have a Bible like ours where he's saying Psalm 68, 18 right here, that's it. You know, short sound bite, that's all we need to hear. We don't need to look at the context. When he did that, he was essentially saying, in the 68th Psalm, we see this truth. And he just highlights one verse. So he's pointing back and he's basically referencing the entire context. So that whole psalm is speaking to his point. That's important for us to see, okay? Now, if you were following along in your Bible, I think, Bill, were you reading out of New King James or King James? What translation? NASB, okay. Um, I have ESV, but I think most of your translations, if you look at them, are gonna look a little different, right? Anyone have a question about that? <laughs> uh, sometimes you see stuff like this and you go, wait, did Paul just misquote the Old Testament? There, there's a really key word that he, he changed. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. But if you go back and read that context, it says, and he received gifts from men. So which is it? Did he give them or did he receive them? Those seem like opposites, right? So there's a couple things that go on here. Um... First off, again, I'm going to keep coming back to this point. He's referencing the whole psalm, so you have to understand that. The second thing is um, back when uh, in the day of Ephesians and with uh, Paul when he was quoting this, they usually would quote from either the Septuagint, which was a translation of Hebrew into Greek. That's kind of what they would use as their Bible as a translation over. Um, or sometimes people like Paul who studied and went to school and, and had his degree, as it were, there was, um, it was basically like a commentary, but it was, it was like a translation as well called the Targum, and they would reference that. So what Paul is actually quoting here is out of the Targum and, and its interpretation of that text. Now, if you look, the Septuagint even translate, you have taken gifts, and the Hebrew, you have given gifts, but the, the whole meaning of it, which was expanded on and that the Jews of that time would understand, was when a king went in and he conquered a people and he was victorious, he would take gifts for the purpose of distributing them to his men or to his people. And it was, it was, all, it was the whole picture. So he was taking them and giving them at the same time. So when Paul uses this, he's 
again, he's referencing the whole psalm. Now, if you look at that whole thing, it's about, God, you've been victorious. You've, you've conquered your enemies. You have been just exalted on high. And, you know, and in the midst of that, he says this, you've, you've received gifts even from the rebellious. Like you, and, and that's how David was using it. He was using this military language. What Paul, the reason Paul is making this tie here and why he starts with this to talk about spiritual gifts is he is pointing back to the victory that Christ has won. We've seen this all throughout Ephesians already. You've kind of already seen where Christ is uh, highly exalted in chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. He's above every authority and power and dominion. Um, in chapter 3, it talked about how um, we're raised with him in, in the heavenly places, and it's to basically make a spectacle with the, um, with the spiritual forces of darkness and all this is victory language. I mean, it's, it's battle. Christ has won. He's overcome the enemy. He is, he is triumphed over death, just like uh, what Steve started us with, that announcement, Christ has risen and has overcome death, and we are no longer bound by sin. That's the excitement that Paul is bringing into this. Look at Christ. So before he starts talking about spiritual gifts, before he gets into this, I, I thought it would be helpful for us to follow his own logic. He doesn't start just with what are your spiritual gifts. He starts with how. How are your spiritual That's not good English, but how did you get them? Well, it starts with Christ. You look at him. Christ is the conquering king. He overcame everything on earth. He overcame every spiritual force of darkness and evil and sin and death. So as a result of that, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. So following Paul's logic, I thought it would be good for us to do the same. Now, um, we've been saying this all along, but there's a lot of parallels with Philippians 2. It's only a couple pages over in my Bible. Turn over there real quick, because as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, wow, so when Paul went into talking about spiritual gifts, um, he he, he used this, and then that verse came to mind about in Philippians 2, about God highly exalting him. But then I looked back a little bit at the context. So and I'm going to take us back all the way to family camp. Ryan Washburn was talking through this. He started in chapter 1, verse 27. He talked about walking worthy and this, and it was so closely parallel to where we are in Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. And it came right in, and you start seeing so many of these parallels that lead up to this. Um, in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, we're to have the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Doesn't that sound like what we're reading in Ephesians chapter 4? We've been looking at this aspect of having the same mind that which in Christ Jesus. That's 2, verse 5. We're told in uh, 2, 3, and then 6 through 9, the example of Christ, that we're supposed to walk in humility and gentleness, just like Christ did. And we see that over in chapter 4. It says, all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another love. And so you get to this point where you see Christ came up to the point of being humbled, completely humbled, and, and at the lowest point possible on earth. And after that, God highly exalted him. All right? Now go back to Ephesians 4. Same thing. We're commanded to be humble. We're commanded to, to humble ourselves, look at ourselves, who we are, and at that point, at the, after that, we receive the same gifts that Christ received when God highly exalted him. Do you see the parallels? It's the same thing we kind of talked about when we were back in Ephesians 2 when I was preaching, and, and that idea of you want to find out who you are, look at Christ. Well, it's the same thing right here. We look at Christ, we see him humbled on earth. We see him highly exalted by the Father. And then we see in our, our own walk, our own journey, we humble ourselves. We come before the Spirit on that spiritual formation journey, and that's very humbling as, as we come before him. We humble ourselves like Christ humbled himself, and God, in turn, allows us to share in the reward of Christ. Okay, so this whole, this whole idea of looking back and looking at Psalm 68 and using it as an example of a conquering king, that's what this is all about and why it ties in here. So we look at Christ to find that. Now, in verses 9 and 10, he kind of adds this little um, parenthetical logic train, um, at least it's in parentheses in my Bible, I think it is in everyone, but he talks about uh, him ascending and him um, descending and all this kind of thing, and he's just basically saying at the end, 
It's so that he might fill all things. It's proving that there is no one else in heaven or earth. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one. There's only one. It's Christ. And he is that name that was highly exalted. So that's what he's talking about. It's kind of almost like the credentials that Christ has in order to give the gifts that we're going to look at. Okay, so you following so far? We're moving? Okay, now we're going to start looking at these gifts. Verse 11, we're going to start looking at these. And so we've kind of looked at um, really um, not necessarily what our gifts, but how we have our gifts. It's because of Christ. And now we're going to look specifically at these. And these, um, these go back, um, I, I said at the beginning, I actually preached on this four years ago. And I, I borrowed some of that for today because a lot of it goes into just the spiritual gifts um, side of things. But it's kind of framed a little bit more for what we've been looking at. And so some of this might look like review um, for some of you, and some of you it might look uh, new. But um, there's basically, when we look at spiritual gifts in the New Testament, there's four main passages. And I'm going to see if this works. Here we go. Okay, so there's four main passages. I'm not super big on slides today, sorry, but we've got a couple. So um, these are the four main ones in the New Testament that outline it. There's 1 Corinthians 12 through 13, Romans 12, 3 through 8, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, and then the one that we're in today, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Now, um, this might be a little hard to see, but I, I went down and I grabbed all the gifts as they're listed. If this was a portrait mode, it'd be easier to read, but we have a widescreen. This is for the sake of an illustration, but if you look and you see we've got exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, service, teaching, administration, apostle, discernment, faith, healing, helps, knowledge, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, evangelism, pastor, shepherd, celibacy, and hospitality. Those, as far as I can see, and from the commentaries I was looking at, are, is the full list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. All right. Now, if you look at where they're listed, um, you can see that most of them are in 1 Corinthians 12, a few over here. And these are kind of, there's only really a couple, really one that goes all the way through, which is teaching. And then prophecy is kind of second place there. But if you look at this, this illustration, the reason I put it up there, and especially focusing on Oops, wrong button. On this side, uh, the visual of that. Um, I want you to see something. Um, some lessons that we learn out of Scripture are direct. You know, you, you look at them and you see kind of it just says this and that's what you believe. And some things you can, you can deduct by inference and looking. So when we look at this and you see this, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, no one list is exhaustive. So why is that? Like, you've got to hodgepodge them all together to get this list. So you have to decide, is this all the spiritual gifts that there are? Or are we missing the point when we try to make a list like that? If it never at one point did Peter or Paul decide, okay, these are all the spiritual gifts, this is the list, this is them, check to see if you have one, and sign up in booth A or B or C or D out the hall. He didn't do that. He, they, they were usually kind of spoken in a context of, the need that was at hand. And that, I really believe, is what is inferred from this. When we look at none, not one of these lists is, is fully exhaustive, you look at the fact that that's probably because they were given for the need at hand. Some gifts ceased. Like, we don't have apostles today. We can't, because the requirement for an apostle was to be um, walk with Christ, see him on earth. It, it doesn't exist. You have people that say they're apostles, and they have an apostolic ministry. And usually what they mean by that is they look at the fact that the kind of ministry they do is very similar to what the apostles were doing. But you probably should just say, like, you have the spiritual gift of being a church planner. It'd be good. It's not on the list, but it's the need at hand. And some people have that gift. All right? So um, I think we can get really caught up. In, I went to a college that's very, very strong on cessationalism. And, and is very strong on that argument. And uh, I guess I'm giving away my hand as to what I believe on that, but um, in some ways I, I, I don't like putting myself in either camp because this either-or kind of thing, I don't think it's the point that the New Testament writers were making. This is why. The arguments for cessationalism, that some gifts ceased back in the day, that they, like an apostolic thing, and are you a cessationalist? 
it really, like the scriptures don't ever say very clearly that happened. It wasn't the point of the New Testament writers. You can get there. You can also get to the other one. The point of the New Testament writers was the spirit gifts as the need requires. And I really think we need to take the same emphasis that the New Testament writers had as well. We can get caught up in these arguments and things. Maybe you guys haven't been in those, and maybe that's a Bible college only thing. But I, I remember even to this day, I get people asking, like, well, do you believe that the gifts have ceased or not? And I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean by that. Like, some of them, maybe, what's the need? What are we talking about? I really think we need to focus on it from that perspective. If apostles were needed, God gave them. All right? If tongues were needed, he gives them. He might still give them today. If teaching, if shepherds, if mercy, if serving, if knowledge, he gives needs as they're required. The Spirit comes in and he gives them. Are there spiritual gifts that aren't listed in the New Testament? It appears so. And I think we need to be okay with that. And the reason is, is coming down to this. What was the purpose of the gifts? I think a lot of times we take, um, we take specific gifts and we turn them into ministries themselves. They become the ministry. How many times do you guys hear the, the phrase, oh, you're going into the ministry, or he's in the ministry, or uh, we need to support that guy in the work of the ministry? A pastor or a missionary or something, we say, well, they're in the ministry. Read the text. These gifts were given, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You, the saints are the ones in the ministry. The people in the church, you're the ones in the ministry. Gifts are given, whether they're pastors or teachers or mercy or hospitality or whatever, they're all given to equip us for the work of the ministry. So when we get up, caught up in this, and I really, I don't know, I haven't lived in other cultures, but I can say I think it's an, at least a Western American thing where we get caught up in this, it's easier for us to pay someone to do the work of the ministry than all of us do it together. We've got to check our hearts. I've been in that same, same boat. You know, where it's, it's easier just to say, well, they're in the ministry. I can't. No, we're all in the ministry. Now, it might not look exactly like a pastoral or missionary or evangelist missionary or a ministry, but we're all doing it. Wherever you are, the workplace you're in, the home that you're in, Whatever you're doing, you are in the ministry. And when we get together on a Sunday morning, that has to be the first reason that we look at for spiritual gifts, is they're for equipping us for the work of the ministry. 1 Corinthians. Um, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 real quick. This is probably the biggest passage on these, as you guys can see, has the most that talks about it here. Um, 7 through 13, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Same thing that we're saying. It's for building up for the work of the ministry. For one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge in accordance to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecies, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one accordingly as he wills. When you read that, you don't get the, the <clears throat> impression Paul is making the, the point that some gifts will cease and some won't. His main point is what? what? What phrase comes up the most in there? One spirit, same spirit, same spirit. That's the point he's making. And that's the point that we all need to be looking at. We're talking about being one spirit as a church. These spiritual gifts, I said, they're the tools that help us become one spirit as a church. And that, every time the New Testament writers talked about it, that's what they were doing. God has given the church specific tasks to do on earth and these are some of them um, again if that's small I'll kind of read down through these but um, this just goes back through Ephesians these are just ones in Ephesians there's more but these are purposes of the church we were created to do good works we were created to manifest the wisdom of God to the rules and authorities of the heavenly places 3 14 through 19 we were created to understand more fully the eternal love of Christ first part of chapter 4 
We are created for unity, to be worthy of our calling collectively. We're designed to grow into maturity, 4, 12 through 16. This goes back, but to be a collective dwelling place of God at the end of chapter 2. We're supposed to walk in love, um, and that's kind of, you see that in other places as well. Um, chapter 5, verse 2, 5, 11 through 14, we're, as a church, we expose the deeds of darkness, kind of like the Holy Spirit's job of convicting the world of sin. These are all purposes of the church. So when you look at spiritual gifts and you look at why are they given, it's to accomplish those things. But even I would like to even boil it down to five things that I think are the primary purposes of the gifts. I'm just going to leave these up for the rest of the service today. These five things that we find in each of these passages, you can turn to them if you want, or you can just write them down. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, the gifts are given to build up the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the gifts are given for the common good. Ephesians 4, 12, they are given to equip the saints with, for the work of the ministry, like we just saw. And then in Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, that we're exalted with Christ, and we see the same thing in 4, 13 through 16, as we grow into maturity in Christ, that's accomplishing the purpose of the head. We are the body on earth. He's the head. And the last one I think is worth, worthy of us looking at, which is in 1 Peter chapter 4, because I really think this is what it all comes down to as far as why we have spiritual gifts. If I can find 1 Peter. 4 verse 11 Actually, I'm just going to go back to 10 and read all of it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Same theme. As good stewards of God's grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And here it is. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is why we have spiritual gifts. Ultimately, as a church, it's, yes, we're accomplishing the will of the head. Yes, we're, we're working out his desires on earth. Yes, we're we're um, going where he sends us. But ultimately, that's all for the sake of glorifying God through Jesus Christ. And we're his body, so that's our primary MO. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Real quickly, a, a slight little clarification I think that is good to do. Just as I was thinking about this, when we talk about spiritual gifts, I think sometimes there's a, there's a confusion that comes in as to the difference between spiritual gifts versus natural gifts. I think we should just clarify that. Um, just because you're good at something, you're naturally gifted at something, does not make it a spiritual gift. should say that, but I shouldn't have to, but we, we need to say that because I think we get confused. You might be very good at flirting. That doesn't make it a spiritual gift. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good example. But, you know, uh, <laughs> some people are gifted in very bad things, and some people are gifted in good things. You can't just, obviously, that's an extreme example of, logic, but just because you're gifted in something doesn't make it a spiritual gift. You might be a natural leader. doesn't mean you're a spiritually gifted natural leader. You could lead men off a cliff. It doesn't mean that it's a spiritual gift, okay? So natural gifts, these are the things that we're born with, personalities, inclinations, um, you know, even developed skills. Um, they're not exclusive to Christians only. You see them in unbelievers and believers the same, things like intelligence, or giftedness in music, or just arts in general, gifted athletes, um, linguists. Some people are gifted with languages and learning and discernment and empathy. Great things. Doesn't make them a spiritual gift. Many unbelievers, I, sorry to burst your bubble if this is profound to you, are gifted with empathy and with mercy and, and, and with, with um, a heart for people who are hurting. That's okay. It's part of what's hardwired into our DNA. There are some that cross over, like mercy or administration or helps, knowledge, leadership, wisdom. And, and with those, it gets a little muddier. We're saying, well, you're trying to make this clean break between natural and spiritual gifts. Not necessarily, okay? Again, keeping these purposes up on the wall. This is how we discern whether what we have is a spiritual gift or a natural gift. Do they line up with this criteria, the criteria that the scriptures said? Is it building up the body? Is it, uh, is it something that's for the common good in the church? Is it equipping others in the church for the ministry? You might be a leader. Are you leading people in the church correctly? 
You might be gifted at, with finances. Are you using that gift? Is it a spiritual gift or is it you know, something that you're just um, dedicating to God? And that's, that's the last thing I want to show here. Um, natural gifts are not, you shouldn't look at them as like lesser or, oh, it's just a natural gift. Gosh darn it, I want a spiritual gift. It's not, it's not less in that sense. Romans 12, which is one of the passages that talks about spiritual gifts, how does it begin? Many of you guys have that memorized, you know. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's taking your natural gifting and offering them to God. That's perfectly a spiritual act of worship. It's okay. You might be gifted, again, with finances, or you might be gifted with music. You might not have a spiritual gift for it, but you might have a natural one that you can dedicate to God, and that's, that's perfectly okay as well. The spiritual ones are ones when God basically comes in and supernaturally kind of adds something. And I think sometimes he does this maybe even to set people ahead. Maybe our church is struggling with something like, I'm not saying we are, so don't, but like showing mercy. And, and so God takes like three or four people, gives them a spiritual gift of showing mercy so that the rest of us go, oh, that's what it looks like. And sometimes I think that's how spiritual gifts, there was a need at hand, need to happen. Um, and that's how he does it, okay? But the goal ultimately has to be these things and in the end, glorifying Jesus Christ or glorifying God through Jesus Christ more specifically. Going back to Ephesians 4. In verse 7, this is where we started. This is where we're going to kind of start to end. We're getting there. Um, verse 7 said that this was by grace. By, but grace was given to each of us for the common good. And each of these passages talk about the same kind of thing. Romans 3, actually, um, I'm going to turn there because that's the one I really wanted to go. Romans 12, verses 3 and 6 says the same thing. You can turn there or you can just, I'll just read it, but. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has assigned. These gifts that God gives, if you find yourself, you have a spiritual gift, you say, this is specifically for the body of Christ. I, I'm, I feel the Spirit working through me. In, in this context, there's a need at hand. He's given it to me. Don't get arrogant. Don't think, oh, this is me. I'm really good at this. I, I'm so glad. Oh, oh, praise God. Thank you for making me such a, you know, whatever. Okay, don't get boastful. That's, that's the point of what Paul is saying. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Why? Because this is grace. The gifts are a gift of grace. You guys know the difference between mercy and grace? Probably mercy is not giving you what you deserve. In this case, judgment for sin. So if you're in negative, it brought you back up to zero. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve, and it's good things, so it's giving you positive to your ledger. Those are the difference. Spiritual gifts are grace. There's something that God gives us. He doesn't need to give us. We could enter heaven on his merit at zero in, in the picture and be okay. These are things that are just above and beyond that God gives us to build us up, to build up the body, and to build up the church so that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish on earth. God, I'm, it's, it's really interesting. If you guys really want to dig into a study on spiritual gifts, there's so much on it in the New Testament. But open your mind to what God is doing in why these gifts are given and, and whether they line up with these passages. Because a lot of times we can get into, we read that passage about don't think of yourself more highly than you ought with spiritual gifts, but we start pursuing this knowledge of spiritual gifts for that. We feel left out. You see someone's spiritual gift in the church, you say, I wish I had that. And you start looking and saying, God, what's mine? I need mine. And our motives are wrong, and we start going at it from the wrong perspective. Instead, look at it from the perspective that God gives. We have a body. We need to be built up. We need to get to the point where we are one in the head. He has the desire, the goal. He's got the commanding instructions, and we're just following them. That's the goal. When you're there, ask him for spiritual gifts. Ask him for wisdom in that area. Say, God, I see a need here. Can I fill it? Can you give me a spiritual gift? Some of you might know what your spiritual gift is, and you've been using it for your whole life, and that's good. Some of you don't know. Some of you, there might be a need ahead that you haven't seen yet, and that's still to come. But I think the important thing is that we're open to the Spirit and his work 
and the end result of what he's aiming for. To close out today, if you're still in chapter 4, we'll just kind of read the, uh, the end here, because this is, again, the last part uh, of what we're aiming. We talked about this some last week, about where we're going with all this and what it looks like when we become um, one, when we're truly unified, when we're truly of one mind and heart. This is what it looks like, starting in, well, I'll start just in, um, in verse 11, so we read the context of everything we talked about today. He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I mean, just pausing there, don't you guys want that? I mean, the world is so tumultuous, tossing this way and that, and sometimes we can get caught up in it. Um, This unity of faith this mature manhood that we have grown up in our faith enough that we are walking with Christ, one mind, which is his, it's going to keep us stable. It's our anchor through these storms. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I asked Levi to illustrate this, and to close out, I just say, um, open up your bulletin and look at that. It's a very simple concept, a body with a head. But that is what we are. And when you, you think about who Christ is, where he is, what he's accomplished, and um, his victory that we see, and we are one, we're living out his desires on earth, it's, it's a concept that should put chills down your spine and the opportunity we have. So let's just continue to be open to his spirit as he continues to lead us. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your conquering king, your son that you sent. And God, not just that he defeated his enemies, but our enemies And God, that we get to share in the spoils. Lord, the the aspect of spiritual gifts can be quite intimidating to many of us. Um, But Lord, I I pray that we would just have your heart. We would see what you give them for. and, And God, just give them as a result of that. That we might build one another up. Build other churches up. Build up your body around the earth, God. And, and ultimately just glorify you through your son. Help us to be your body, Lord. And thank you for um, your word that guides us. In your name we pray. Amen.